We know that the reason why the Jews wanted to stone Jesus was because he used that sacred phrase, I am. This is, of course, how God identified himself in the burning bush to Moses. And if you remember, in the burning bush to Moses, God had Moses take off his shoes because he was going onto sacred ground. Sacred means holy. Sacred means other. This was, of course, something that was a very powerful moment and something that God demanded that Moses alter his life for him, even if it just meant taking off your shoes. You're doing something out of the ordinary. That's what taking off his shoes was. Come and rest, but in that rest, you're doing something extraordinary. So as Jesus is speaking these words, he's identifying himself with the sacred one, with the holy one, with being itself. And yet Jesus doesn't look out of the ordinary. Jesus was a man. He looked like a man. He smelled like a man. He talked like a man. This was a human being. And so in the mind of the Jews, approaching the great I am, the great being itself, was something that meant immense change and something that was distant. That's what holy means. It means other. That's why the angels in Isaiah and the book of Revelation sing holy, holy, holy. It's the only thing they know. All they're saying to God is, you are other. In other words, you are too big. You are too other for me to speak eloquently about. So I'm just going to call you other. I'm going to call you holy. And so in the Byzantine church, in our iconography, in the halo of Jesus, you always see the three Greek words that spell out ho'on. Ho'on is, is an alliteration of the Hebrew that just means he who is. And so in an icon of the man Jesus... An icon, a picture of Jesus looks like Jesus. Yet in his halo is the words from the Old Testament burning bush, the identification of the God who is other. And this is the beautiful paradox, the fact that the one who is other looks like us. And of course, we Christians know the one who is other not only looks like us, but he became one of us. He is one of us. And this intimacy is so startlingly scandalous that the Jews try to stone him. The intimacy that Jesus offers them and that he offers us from the one who is all holy, the one who is too great to be eloquent about, and now he's become one of us, that we can interact with him. The access that we have to God is scandalous in their minds. It is blasphemous, and yet, of course, it is present. In the responsorial psalm, we hear the Lord remembers his covenant forever. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. And of course, the covenant we're speaking of here is the one he made with Abraham, the covenant of people and the covenant of land. That's what he tells Abraham. You will have people, you will have descendants, as many as there are sands on the seashore, as many as there are stars in the sky. I give you people. And he says, to those people, to your people, I give land, I give property. And of course, this follows with the people of God, with the chosen people of God, with the Jews to this day where their genealogies are so important. You are only a Jew if your mother was. It comes through your genealogy. And also, of course, the Holy Land that is so disputed to this day. The fact that God offered him peoples and land was an intimacy that he offered to Abraham, and this was a part of the covenant. And when we read Psalm 105 here, and here the Lord remembers his covenant forever, the covenant is the relationship, this scandalous relationship in a way, 
the intimate relationship that God has with us, and the fact that we're asking God to remember it, we think this term remember. When do we cry out remember as human beings? Prisoners of war, right? Never forget, always remember. 9-11, tragedies, always remember. If you've ever met someone that just takes your breath away, someone that you want to have an immense intimate relationship with, and you say, I hope they remember me, right? I hope that they call me to mind. Even if you see that word remember, right? Remember. It's like put back together the members of a body. It's the same word recall. When we call something to mind, we regather it from our memory. And so when we're asking God to remember his covenant for us human beings, since we are human beings and since we're weak and we're sinful, we often forget. And so we don't want to forget. We want to remember. And so we're kind of putting that humanity on God when we say, remember, Lord, the relationship you have with me. Remember that. And in Greek, this word, if we read the Septuagint, is anamnesis. And anamnesis in the Greek is the same word that the good thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he uses it so appropriately because it's the same word we use for feast days. So in a sense today, on the feast of St. Patrick, when we celebrate a feast in the church, we're not just remembering St. Patrick who lived 1,500 or so years ago. What we're doing is we're saying, Allow Patrick's presence to be present here with us. Literally, recall him to us. Bring him back to us. When we ask God to remember something, we're asking him to make that event present, really, truly, spiritually present to us. And so when we say, remember your covenant, it's more than just, remember, Lord, that you bet me a hundred bucks, right? And you lost because you bet on the jaguars or whatever it was, right? It's something so much more intense. We're saying, Lord, don't just remember it in your mind, but recall it into reality. This is an immense access that we have to Jesus. And yet, even the change of Abram to Abraham, as we hear in the first reading, Abram and Abraham, if you study it, if you study the Hebrew, it's really not that different, right? Abraham means, means the exalted father. You hear Abe, right? Like Abba, father. Abraham, Abram. It just, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means also exalted father. But we change the translation in a sense for exalted. We change the meaning to mean a multitude. So exalted and the multitude are the same word in Hebrew. So God doesn't change his name that much. But of course, if it was your name and God changed it that little bit, it would be immense. God changes his very identity. He changes the way he's going to converse with Abraham. In a sense, especially if we know what a name means, especially in the Old Testament, he does change his identity in the ordering and the establishment of this covenant. So the intimacy that he calls Abraham to in the change of his name, an intimacy that is not shared with everybody else because the name doesn't change that much. It's just like when someone tries to explain away the relationship that Jesus had with Nathaniel. When Nathaniel blows Jesus off because he's not from Bethlehem, if you remember the story. And of course, Nathaniel says, what good can come from Bethlehem? And then as soon as he approaches Jesus at the request of his brother, Jesus says to him, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel all of a sudden acknowledges him as God. You are the Lord. You are the Son of God. What changed? What the heck was this fig tree he was talking about? Right? This was something immense. And scholars, we've all tried to explain away exactly what this fig tree meant. 
I don't like explaining it away. I like saying that was an intimate moment between him and Nathaniel, and I don't need to know what it means. That was a special moment, whatever I saw you under the fig tree means, let that be a moment of intimacy. Let Jesus riding in the dirt in front of the adulterous woman. What did he write in the dirt? Lots of speculation, right? Do we know? Absolutely not. Do we need to know? Absolutely not. It was a moment of intimacy with those who were judging the woman and a moment of intimacy with the woman herself, the adulterous woman. And we have these moments of immense intimacy in the scriptures, and we always try to explain them away. We try to find ourselves in them. Let it be intimate. Let it remain that way. Let the name change of Abraham not mean much, but to him it meant everything. Let us telling Jesus to remember us, let that be a moment of scandalous intimacy with him. Let us say every time Jesus says, I dwell in your heart, and I'm bringing you into my own divinity. Let us say, that's just way too big, Jesus. You're supposed to be other. You're supposed to be distant. You cannot be the one that dwells in my heart and calls me to this intimacy. If we flip the saying, it's like saying, you know, instead of saying, you don't see the forest for the trees, you don't see the tree for the forest. Right? We, we don't, we see what God is doing in the wider world. We fail sometimes to see what he's doing in the intimacy of our heart. And we want to see signs, we want to see miracles, we want to see lives changed, right? All of that's missing the point. Calling Jesus to make himself obvious to me, show me your face, Lord, is missing the point. We're missing the point that he is so intimate to with us that he dwells within us and calls us into his own divinity. So let us then be scandalized as the Jews are. Be scandalized that Jesus would be so close to us that he would become one of us. Let us be shocked and stand in awe of that reality. So when we're being filled with drama and we're just whining about things and having first world problems, like we always do every day, right? When we do this, let us say, Jesus, in all of my issues, in all of my drama, even the things that are really drama, right? Even in the real sufferings that we have, there's an intimacy that Jesus has invited us into that if we don't stand in awe of that, we're not going to understand how big it is. And sometimes that awe becomes scandalous in the sense that I just can't wrap my mind around it, Lord. And that's where we should start, to understand exactly what he's calling us to in the intimacy of the eternal God of the holy, the holy God of the Old Testament becoming one of us, we should be as shocked as the Jews are. And if we're not, we don't understand exactly what Christ has called us to, again, in the intimacy of sharing his divine life with us. We're going to see that lived out, of course, at the end of next week, as he died for us and rises us with him. So let us meditate upon this to prepare for the immensity of what's going to happen in a little over a week. Amen.